Welcome to Jay Talking, episode 42. I'm Jay Sorgi, your host. It is December 12th as we give you this podcast. Tell us what you think about what you're hearing on the podcast. The letter J-S-O-R-G-I is the Twitter handle, the letter J-S-O-R-G-I. Give us your opinions on what you're hearing, what you'd love to hear on this podcast as well. Coming up later, we're going to have the host of the Doug Russell Show, it's a guy named Doug Russell, whom I've had the gift of working with for a couple of decades at times here at WTMJ. He is the host of the Doug Russell Show on 94.5 ESPN-FM from 6 to 8. You hear him a lot on WTMJ still as well. We dive into how to fix college football. The college football playoff system has many things that need to be improved still, even with the current four-team system. There's a proposal out there with the idea of expanding from four to eight teams. We dissect it. We give our opinions on how to fix it. It may not be a perfect solution, either this solution or what we come up with, but it's about advancing the discussion. Right now, first, we're going to give you a bit of an update on what to look for when it comes to the Green Bay Packers and their playoff hopes. We're going to try and make this as simple to digest as possible and what it's going to take to get them a playoff berth and much more to get them in position for a chance at a playoff run. But the first step, you cannot take the capital, as they would say in war, until you take the castle. You can't take the castle until you take the beachhead. The Green Bay Packers beachhead is possibly attainable this week by earning a playoff berth, and they could clinch a playoff berth by about 6.30, 6.45 p.m. this Sunday evening. Two things have to happen for that to, to occur. One, ain't going to be easy. The Green Bay Packers have to beat the Chicago Bears. What, you say? It's not going to be easy? These are the Chicago Bears, after all. This team that's got this sorry offense, Mitch Trubisky, their quarterback, he can't hit the broadside of a barn if it was 10 feet away. Forget that idea. The Bears are 7-6. and six. They come in as one of the hottest teams in pro football. They've won three straight games. Mitchell Trubisky in those games has played like the Chicago Bears had hoped for them to play, for him to play, when they drafted him number two in the NFL draft a couple of years ago. He's actually producing like that in these recent weeks. And the Green Bay Packers have not been on all cylinders. The Chicago Bears have. Wayne Larry talked about this in the play-by-play podcast that he recorded earlier today. It's not about who you play. It's about when you play them. And very frankly, the Chicago Bears, and Doug Russell made this point on his show last night as well, the Bears are playing better by the eye test than the Green Bay Packers are. Yes, I know, the Green Bay Packers are a 10-3 and football team, but they've been doing it by gutting out victories with performances where they haven't shown their talent to the best of their ability. They've been beaten in terms of overall performance play-by-play, but have found ways to win games on the scoreboard. They've been out-talented. They've been out-skilled. But they're finding ways to win. And if you look at the sample set of their last five games... Three and two 
In the two wins, they got boat raced by San Diego and by San Francisco. And in their three wins over Carolina, over the Giants, and last week over Washington, they didn't perform like a playoff contender to any stretch of the imagination. They weren't workmanlike. They were gutsy. But they were not polished. Against the Chicago Bears defense, which only lets you score 10 points in the season opener, you'd better be polished. Against this current Bears offense, with a quarterback playing to the level of his talent the last three weeks, if they're performing at that level, you better be polished. Otherwise, they can come in and beat you. That's step one, though, for the Green Bay Packers to do that. To get to the playoffs, that's the first piece. Kickoff at noon, 9 o'clock coverage time, coming on WTMJ on Sunday with WTMJ opening drive. That's step one. Step two, if the Packers win, all eyeballs head to Jerry World. Green Bay Packers fans will be doing what's for so many of them is a loathsome thought. Rooting for Jerry Jones' Dallas Cowboys to beat the Los Angeles Rams. They're 7-5. and five. They're also a team on the rise. They kicked Seattle's behind last Sunday night. They're getting hot. But if Dallas finds a way to beat them, and the Packers get their job done against the Chicago Bears, the Packers eliminate both the Bears and the Rams from overtaking them in the race for the playoffs, and they clinch themselves their first playoff berth in three years. It seems ridiculous to think around Titletown in the state of Wisconsin that the Packers haven't made the, the playoffs in the last two years. We're so used to it being a birthright to expect the Packers to be playing football in January, but they haven't done it since 2016. Now's their shot. First taking the beachhead. Then it's taking the castle. That means clinching the NFC North. That means for the Packers to do it, they have to win two of their final three regular season games. Technically, they don't have to beat the Minnesota Vikings on December 23rd to do it. But as a Packers fan, you salivated the idea of saying, we have just beaten our two biggest arch rivals, the Bears and the Vikings, including the Vikings on the road, Monday night football with the entire nation watching as they're wrapping their Christmas presents and getting things ready for their holidays. To be able to have the entire nation watch the Packers clinch the North, a division they haven't won since 2016. And then comes not just taking the castle, but taking the land surrounding the capital for the Packers. And something that I think they absolutely have to have if they want to have any shot, any shot of getting to Super Bowl 54. They've got to get home field. They've got to get at least a first round bye. And they're in position to do it. They've got a direct route. All they've got to do, easier said than done, but all they've got to do is win their final three games. Sunday against the Bears. A week from Monday at the Vikings. And then December 29th at the Detroit Lions. 
you do what you are supposed to do in those three games, you get the first weekend of January off. You don't have to play until the conference semifinals, the divisional playoffs. And you most likely get either the New Orleans Saints, the Seattle Seahawks, or the San Francisco 49ers. And you're going to probably have to beat two of those teams to get to the Super Bowl. You get one of those teams most likely coming into your house, coming into Lambeau Field. Three teams that are not cold-weather teams. Oh, granted, the 49ers have a kind of football style, as do the Seahawks, that's successful in cold weather. Defense and running the football. We know Russell Wilson has the mentality to overcome any weather condition. We know Drew Brees has the very same thing, even though his team plays in a dome. They're not afraid of playing the Green Bay Packers. They shouldn't be afraid of playing a team that has, I don't want to say use smoke and mirrors, but sometimes figured out ways to win games they shouldn't win to get to 10-3. and three. But if you want a shot at Super Bowl 54, and I don't necessarily think this team is Super Bowl caliber, to be honest. Crazy things that happen. They should go after the big prize. All things are possible, but it's improbable to see the Packers win it all. I think they absolutely have to have that first round by in order to have some sort of pathway to the Super Bowl. Now, going after the number one seed in home field in the NFC Championship game, that's asking a lot. Because not only do the Packers have to win all three of their remaining games, but you have to have another Seattle Seahawks loss and you have to have two San Francisco 49ers losses. That's because the Packers do not have the tiebreaker against either one of those teams, and they're not going to get it no matter what they do. So they have to have a better record. And the wrench that's thrown in that formula, it'll help in one way, but hurt in another, is that those two teams play on December 29th in the season finale. So it means... Say San Francisco beats Seattle in that game, the 49ers would have to lose their next two games for that to become a possibility. Or say the Seahawks would have to lose at least one more game before that matchup on the 29th and then have San Francisco lose twice with one of those games to Seattle. The odds are ridiculously against that scenario happening. Your best realistic shot is to win out, get the number two seed, get one of the top teams in pro football coming to your house the second weekend of January in freezing cold weather. That, I think, is their only shot of getting to Super Bowl 54 and playing for their 14th World Championship. Now we bring in Doug Russell as we are about to embark upon the portion of a college football season that is pretty much the longest break of the year since the Army-Navy game, the time when there aren't a heck of a lot of college football games because they've ended their regular season, we've gone past conference play, and we are in the midst of the beginnings of bowl season and the upcoming college football playoff. And Doug Russell, 
there's already been a lot of discussion, as there is every time we get to this point of, well, who makes the playoff? The question becomes, how do we change the playoff for the better? It's been a discussion that has existed since there were AP and UPI polls determining a national champion, and playoffs were like what Jim Moore would, would say in that press conference. Playoffs? What? You can't do playoffs? Sure you can. Why not? Everybody else does. Exactly. The, the thing about college football is, and, and I love college football, and the one thing that I don't understand about it is how can the regular season be so great with so many great matchups, but they still continually, and I like the bowl season. I'm sure we'll get to that. But how can they screw up their postseason as horrifically as they do? It's the opposite of college basketball. College basketball, the regular season, can be rendered meaningless when you've got 68 teams making it into the NCAA tournament. It's all just for seeding, and if you're not good enough to make the NCAA tournament, then you've probably got some problems within your uh, your program, at least if you do it on a consistent basis. But, um, look, I, I think that there, there are cutoffs and everybody's wringing their hands about, well, you can't cut it off at five. Well, it's better than cutting off at three. So it's better than it was, but there's still better ways to do it. And how the brokers of the college football, uh, you know, lords, overlords, haven't figured that out yet, continues to baffle and amaze me. Doug Russell, by the way, the host of the Doug Russell Show on 94.5 ESPN-FM. You hear him a lot still on the big flagship WTMJ on the biggest stick in the state. And you bring up some good points, Doug, in terms of how long they've screwed it up and why have they screwed it up for so long. I feel like there are a couple of things going on here. I think, number one, there is the old argument of you can't have players playing in tournament games during their quote-unquote finals right before New Year's. Oh, so now we're concerned about the right. student-athletes. Supposedly. Okay. Yeah, that, okay. that, that's, okay. the, that's the old argument. Okay. Midterm week is harder than finals week for most of these students as As I've discovered from my own experience, and I think most students even today will say that. So that doesn't wash. You have the argument, which I think has a little bit of legitimacy to it, because you talk about the NCAA tournament and you talk about fans traveling to a neutral site to follow their team. Can you really expect a fan of a a particular team and to have 15,000 plus fans of a particular team to go on consecutive weekends to four different locations to follow their team for, say, a 16-team tournament? I think that's legitimate because with the NCAA tournament, generally, they used to put them in the, like the, the Sweet 16 in domes. They don't do that anymore, and there's right. a reason that they don't do that anymore. Uh, the optics of an empty stadium are, are pretty bad on television. So I, I get some of the arguments against it. I also understand the arguments that you don't want to have uh, players play in 14 college football games. Number one, I, I'm, I'm with it to a certain extent. It's not seemingly as much of a problem. I don't know why. But for whatever reason, there's less hang, hand-wringing in Division One FCS, Football Championship Subdivision, Division Two, II, Division Three, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, for example, when Whitewater or Oshkosh go play in the Stag Bowl, they play, what, five extra games or something ridiculous like that? It's about a 16-game season over there. Yeah, and, and it becomes that. So it, it happens in every other level as opposed to um, the Football Bowl Subdivision, FBS. So... Look, there's just a better way to do it. I think you should cut it off. I don't want a 16-team tournament there. Okay. I, I've seen so many different 
uh, you know, all of the bowls should be one big tournament and they should play off. You know, no. If you cut it off at nine, I think you eliminate every argument because if you're cutting it off between eight and nine, I mean, the NFL cuts it off between sure. six and seven in the AFC and in the NFC. And sometimes there are teams that have the same record. One makes the playoffs and one doesn't. Go back to 2010. The Packers were 10 and six. They got into the playoffs because of a tiebreaker. That happens. Uh, so that that's football. But if you cut it off at eight, I think you eliminate every possible argument that you could have that somebody deservedly got, you know, who deserved to get into the college football playoff didn't get that opportunity because you have the power five conferences. You got it to me. If you cut it off at eight, then you have the possibility for a couple of at larges and the possibility for other teams to play the, the, their way in. And as a matter of fact, there has been a recent report stated that that's exactly what college Officials are de- debating and discussing right now the idea of actually implementing an eight-team playoff. A reporter out of New York by the name of Ross Dellinger reporting that they want to do the five Power Five champions. They want to have two at-larges. They want to give one group of five conference champions. See, I think that's crap, by the way, the, the, okay. the group of five. If you earn your way in, great, but I, th- I don't think it should be automatic. If, for example, a Boise State goes 13-0 and and they've earned their way in, I have no problem with that. That's fine. But if if it's just held out there for any you know, group of five as opposed to the power five. No, I mean, I, I think you've got to still pass the eyeball test. I don't have a problem with three at larges. I think every power five champion should get an automatic berth. And then you have three at larges and it could go. It, look, if there's two group of five teams that have deserved, have, have earned their way in, say it's Memphis and Boise State. I'm just picking two. Sure. I know Memphis is going to the Cotton Bowl this year, so they've had a really good season. Uh, so if, say if it's Memphis and Boise State, and Boise State's always been good, so that's the, the reason that I use them. If they're both like 13-0, and 0, and they've both earned their way into the college football playoff, I have no problem with that either. Here's the, the question that I have when we get to you've proven that you've earned your way in, is that, and I, and I think you can look at it on multiple sides, when you have these group of five teams that have played so well, won their conference, like a Memphis, like a Boise State, they each have one loss this year, but they haven't had the chance to play teams as high quality as your three supposed at-large teams that you would look at that mm-hmm. might come from a Power Five conference. They haven't played, for example, if, if you had just the three Power Five, I think Wisconsin would get in. Memphis hasn't played Wisconsin. Sure. They haven't played a team like that. They don't necessarily have that proof to be able to show neither does Clemson who's Clemson beaten number 25 Virginia that's about it yeah that's about it yeah Yeah. so I mean you can say the same thing about a power five conference Mm -hmm. uh, team that you know Dabo Sweeney complains about incessantly well we haven't played anybody well you just admitted that you haven't played anybody so that's why when you look at the SEC that's why they get more recognition the Pac-12 was really good this this past year the Big Ten was pretty good this past year as well uh, I think there's an ebb and flow. Uh, I don't know. The, the ACC can go up and down. There can be some teams that will emerge and challenge Clemson in coming years. So I think it changes year to year. So, I, you know, there, there's a lot of nuance there. And I think that there has to be, to your point, I understand what you're saying about, you know, Boise State and Memphis. They haven't had the opportunity to play each other. But if they both, you know, they both have one loss, as you mentioned, they haven't played each other, though, yet. Right. Either. So I mean, they, maybe that's an opportunity. This is where I would say, and I was, I, I'll first say this, I'll, I'll qualify this first with I've, I had always been a proponent of just conference champions, no at larges, let the regular season become part of the playoff, where LSU, Alabama, 
in early November becomes a playoff game, so it becomes even more important. As an example, I think it's already kind of a playoff game, though. It's a de facto playoff game. Right. Isn't it? To an extent. To an extent. But it officially becomes one. So do your conference championship games officially become a de facto playoff game. I've softened my stance on that. Good, because I don't agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think you would. I've gotten a lot of uh, battles on social media because of it as well. Here's what I would do in making one alteration to the eight idea that you have. You would have a sort of wild card round, or you would have three P5 non-conference champions, your three at-larges, playing the top three of the group of five champions. Yeah, but then you're cutting it off at, what, 11? It It seems weird. It seems weird. But the idea being, you know what? Those group of five champions haven't played anybody. Let them play someone who otherwise would make an eight-team playoff. Then you're adding more games to the college football schedule, which I don't think that they want to do. Oh well. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I mean, your but, point, but if you're if you're saying, let's say Wisconsin and Memphis, sure. for example, I know they're uh, Penn State's playing Memphis in the in the Cotton Bowl, but let's say Wisconsin because they were ranked higher. So then Wisconsin would have to play Memphis. Mm-hmm. If Memphis wins. For example, then they would have to play another game, potentially the Rose Bowl, potentially. And then they would have to play another game on top of that if they keep winning. So you're adding three three extra bowl games on top of what Memphis would otherwise play. I don't I, I don't think there's an appetite for that. In my opinion. I think there will be some who don't for reasons that you state. I think there'll be some who do, because I think you give that opportunity finally to have the test. Do you belong? I think that I think that gives them the head-to-head chance. I think, for example, you play that game in mid-December at the higher-ranked school's campus because you're not going to get someone traveling three or four times to, to follow their team. So then Wisconsin has to play in the Big Ten championship game. Mm-hmm. They have to play a play-in game. Then they have to play their bowl game. Mm-hmm. And then potentially they have to play a championship game. I, that's the that's the theoretical I, possibility. I don't, I, don't I, think there's, I don't think there's an appetite for that. I don't think that's a workable solution. Okay. What I will say, regardless of whether you go with the 18 format that you're talking about or my weird with a purpose 11 team format, is to cut down on the travel that fans would have to make. And because uh, right now they're talking about this 18 playoff with a round before the semifinals, which is what they currently use, mm-hmm. and have it at X locations sometime in December, is that you make the quarterfinals your New Year's Day bowl games. And then at least, like, say, 10, ga- 10 days afterward, have a football Final Four, Saturday, Thursday, in one city. That could be as big of an event as the basketball Final Four, maybe bigger. You know who's going to push back against that? The NFL. Well, m- moreover than the NFL, you know who else is going to push up against it? The, b- the bowl games. Of course. Because the bowl games, they are already... It used to look when we were growing up, you and I are, are not that far off in age. Growing up, New Year's Day was the Rose Bowl. It was the Pac Ten against mm-hmm. the Big Ten. Now it's the Pac twelve, but the Pac Ten against the Big Ten back in the day. And there was snow on the ground here. It was always cold. Um sometimes there was a blizzard going on. But then you turn on the Rose Bowl and it's sunshine and you got the sand, the, the, the mountains in the background and it's still sunlight out when I mean, to me that's special. And it's still special when I watch the Rose Bowl on television. It's dark outside here, still light out on the West Coast. And that game meant something. Was there a bigger football game 
in the state of Wisconsin than the 1994 Rose Bowl. Of course not. It, I mean, it meant everything. In the grand scheme of things, eh, it, it didn't decide a national championship. But it announced to the world that the, the Wisconsin Badgers were going to be a force again. Now the Rose Bowl is uh, kind of an afterthought, which is, which is unfortunate. That's who you're going to get a lot of pushback from, from the bowl games. And, and how diminished their importance is going to be not only in perception, but also in reality. I think you can, first of all, give each of them a, of those four sites a carrot and say, okay, you're going to rotate once every four years hosting that football Final Four. You're also going to be the announcement of the very start of the biggest tournament there is in college football, and it becomes a critical piece to what's going to decide a national championship. With either one of our formats, whether it's the 11 team that I'm suggesting, the 18 that you're suggesting, for example, the Rose Bowl could go back to a Big Ten, Pac-10 matchup every time if they want. They could say, hey, in such a formula. And I would prefer that. In the 18 format, I would prefer that because, again, the way that you've got the rotation right now, uh, in my mind, Ohio State should be in the Rose Bowl playing to advance. But because they have the New Year's Six where they have the rotation that they have right now, Wisconsin gets the consolation prize right the rose bowl should never be a consolation prize in my mind agreed which is why i think if you have a football final four and the rose bowl becomes a quarterfinal it can have big 10 pac 10 and it means something every single time out it'll mean more every time out to the big four bowl games than it would if you have the current format of just two semifinal games and the rose bowl is a semifinal once every three years yeah I'm, look, i i see what you're saying i understand you know the the format i i the biggest problem that I think I see with it, though, is the adding of up to four extra games for kids that aren't getting paid. Um, That's a whole other discussion. I know it's a whole other, but it is, but it isn't. I mean, you got guys like, for example, Michael Pittman. It was a big deal when he came out this week and said, no, no, I'm going to play in the Holiday Bowl for USC. He's a senior. Uh, he's going to the NFL, had a fantastic season, and it was a big deal when he said, I'm going to play one more game. I'm going to play that bowl game. It was a big deal when Jonathan Taylor said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to play in the bowl game, even though we all know that he's not going to come back for his senior season. So if you're going to add, okay, you're going to add the one game, then you're going to add another game, then you're going to add another game, then you're going to add another game, there are going to be kids that say, you know what, I'm going to the NFL and I've played. I've done what I can do. I'm out. And that's and that. I already don't like it when kids skip that bowl game. I hate I hate it. I, I think it's the worst trend that we've seen in college football. If you if you start something, finish it. Don't quit on your team. And that's what they're doing. They're quitting on their team. And I hate that. But if you're going to tell them that they have to keep playing game after game after game after game and exposing themselves to injury game after game after game after game, there's going to come a breaking point where they're going to say, look, I've done all, all I can do. I'm out. Uh, good luck, and uh, I'm I'm going to go get paid in the NFL. But the only teams that go through the ultimate potential 17-game gauntlet of, of that season, it would be a team playing for a national championship. Right. Which Is makes it worth it, it to them? Which, and I think it would be. Why? Being part of a national championship. Sure. Period. I mean, okay. But right now, I think that it's all, already a big ask to have them play in the conference championship game, the bowl game, and then another championship game. Then you're going to add a couple more games on top of that. It's like, good grief. I mean, when does it end? And so if you get players that are going to peace out after the regular season or after the conference championship game, then that 
to me, that national championship or that potential national championship, it doesn't mean as much. You're going to not get a true sense of how good that football team was during the regular season. So I think you're adding too many games. At the fundamental, to me, what your plan does is it adds too many games. There's no perfect plan. There no. is no perfect plan. No, my plan. plan is – no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, there, there, you're right. There is no perfect plan. There's, I yes. mean, it doesn't exist. So what my plan does is I think it, it makes it as close to – I don't want to use the word perfect. I think it's as close to what is something that's reality or something that could happen potentially. Um, and, and hopefully guys, players – student-athletes will see the benefit in just playing a couple of more weeks as opposed to playing potentially four extra games. The one thing that I will say about whatever change comes with the NCAA when it comes to deciding a college football national champion, and Matt LaPay gave me this word years ago when we were discussing this one time at a Badgers broadcast, it's going to be slow. Change is going to be ridiculously, ridiculously What do you mean, Jay? (laughs) The most progressive people in the world are college (laughs) presidents. What are you talking about? I I sometimes wonder if if they or the Vatican are slower in terms of change. I don't know. That's a a fun contest. Yeah. Well... I don't. I, that's a good call. I, I have no idea. One one of the two. It, and, we would and that's coming from a devout Catholic. Marquette football defeated <laughs> since 1960. So don't expect anything, I would think, to come at least within the next two years if they decide to go to eight. Well, and then there's contracts, though, that yeah. are involved as well. I mean, at, at the end of the day, television drives everything. And what we're also seeing is this seismic change in college athletics. The, that whole other conversation, yep. well, that's going to be part of it. Compensation is going to be part of it. If you're going to add extra games, you know, maybe you pay players. I mean, literally, legitimately, write a check to players above and beyond more than just the gifting suites that they get in these games. Write them a check for the game, the extra games that they play. Well, this is Appletrosum. You're playing for the pride of your university. Oh, come on. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, on. no, you're, you're – at the end of the day, a lot of these players are playing – for their next paycheck in the National Football League. So if you want to incentivize them to start earning money and incentivize them for playing in the bowl game, you're going to have to break out the checkbook and write them a check because somebody's making money somewhere. And these are extra games on top of what they've already committed to do for their scholarship. If you're going to add games, write the check. And that's where I think when you talk about TV rights and that being the deciding factor as to when this is going to happen, I think that plays a part. Because I think the television rights for such a championship tournament would make the kind of money that they're putting into what they currently have for the bowl system and for the uh, four-team championship playoff, it'll be minuscule. Yeah. You know that the networks are going to pony up sure. massive cash. So then you write a check to every player for fifty grand. Exactly. Yeah, I mean that's, that's fair. That's Completely it. Completely fair. Yeah, I mean, but that means that fifty, th- you know, fifty thousand dollars for a hundred players on the team. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. That's Yes, Five that's mil. what I'm saying. Five mil. And they will easily be able to come up with 40 million or 55 oh, million yeah. in whatever system we would come Absolutely. up with. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's – look, if you, if you want to add stuff, great. But these athletes deserve to be compensated for it. Boom. Doug Russell. The Doug Russell Show. 6 to 8 on 94.5 FM ESPN. Often heard on WTMJ. Packers – 
coverage starting at 9 o'clock Sunday, as a matter of fact, with WTMJ Opening Drive, and you'll hear this dude across the, yes. the desk from me. And Buck shoot around, and occasionally on Brewers Weekly, and I'm, I'm with Steve Scafidi. Yeah, no, I I, I, I joke that uh, you know I changed jobs but didn't have to change desks. No, I'm still on TMJ. He is the great radio multitasker. Doug Russell, thanks for chiming in. Absolutely. It was a fun, fun conversation. Thanks, Jay. Finally, in the style of Jim Irwin, a viewpoint this podcast. Tahiti! Tahiti! Maybe hosting part of the 2024 Olympics. The little island of Tahiti has been chosen by the Paris 2024 Olympic Committee to be the site of surfing for those games. Surfing is going to become an Olympic sport with the 2020 Tokyo Games. I don't know if if you've ever traveled to Paris before. There's no surfing in Paris. The Seine River is not going to give you the capability to have the big kind of waves you need for a world-class surfing competition. Well, why not hold it somewhere along some of the other beaches in France? I mean, it borders the Atlantic Ocean. Paris said no. They are going to make athletes fly 9,700 miles away from the Olympic Village to compete in surfing in a French territory. I'm currently placing the microphone down towards the recording table here, and I'm bonking my desk in head desk mode. What are you thinking? (laughs) Sometimes you just have to yell in exasperation at the kind of a move like that. I have no problem with the idea of surfing as an Olympic sport. If it is something that brings enough interest to the games. And as I saw this past summer, Traveling to California, it is an incredibly hard athletic skill to surf even the most basic waves, let alone some of the gargantuan waves that you see in surfing competition. But for those that don't necessarily know the inner workings of the games, surfing is not a permanent Olympic sport. It has to reapply every year to the games. It's not like track and field, not like gymnastics, not like swimming, not like basketball. And a local committee can decide, okay, we have the capability to do this sport. We don't have the capability for this other sport. We'll go with this sport because we know that we can host it. It's a way of trying to cut down on the expenses of running an Olympic Games because you can tailor the games towards what you have the capability to host with the facilities you have. So instead, they decide, well, we really want surfing. We're going to hold the thing in Tahiti. That would be like the Los Angeles 2028 games choosing, let's say, Australian rules football as a sport. And they decide to play it in Melbourne. What? 
just don't work. It just don't work, folks. Maybe some Olympic expert can explain to me how there's logic behind this. The logic probably has to do with dollar signs. But to make a decision to hold an Olympic event 9,700 miles away and present it sort of like you used to have with ABC's Wide World of Sports, Jim McKay or Keith Jackson sitting alongside with a non-alcoholic pina colada in his hand in a Hawaiian shirt with sunglasses given play-by-play of a fantastic surfing feat. And again, I don't want to knock the athletes who compete in surfing. They deserve credit for the skill they have. And they deserve to have a worldwide stage for it. It's a great sport. But this is ridiculous. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Couldn't Paris do something like bowling? I mean, you can do bowling anywhere. I'm not saying that's what it ought to be, but do something that's a little bit more intelligent with what you have the capability to do. Sometimes people just don't use the obviousness of what common sense says. I know. I'm guilty of that, too. Trust me. My wife will tell you that umpteen number of times, and she still loves me. Thank God. Wow. (laughs) But this struck me this morning when I read that, and it's just, really? Really. (laughs) Thus has ended the December rant version of the Jay Talking Podcast. Hopefully, the next couple of weeks, we'll have a much more kind, genuine, Christmas-like feel to it, especially. A time to be very grateful for having a lot of good things. I'm grateful to Doug Russell for joining the show. I'm grateful to you for continuing to listen to the Jay Talking Podcast. Tweet me at the letter J-S-O-R-G-I. That is J-S-O-R-G-I. With all your thoughts of what you heard and what you'd love to hear in the podcast. This has been Jay Talking. Have a great Wisconsin sports weekend.